Hello, beautiful balancers, and welcome back to another episode of the Balance Theory Podcast. I'm going to start off this podcast with something a little bit different. So I had actually a couple of you message me asking me to dive in a little bit into my own personal balance as sort of like an update at the start of the show. So for anyone listening who this is their first time tuning into the podcast, I'll give you a quick breakdown of the balance theory. So essentially, we've got three areas of your life, your health, which comprises of your physical and mental, your relationships, which encompass your family, friendships and love life, if applicable. And your last area is your fulfillment category. So whether that be your current career, your nine to five, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's something you're studying, or maybe you're a full time parent. So those are our areas. Areas. And what I'll do is each week I'll just go into one little area that I think we can all take a little learning from or something I just want to highlight. So I guess this week for me, I'm going to focus on health in the physical. So for anyone who knows me personally or has seen anything on my socials, you'll know I'm an avid trainer. I try and train five to six days a week. First thing in the morning, it sets up my day and really just boosts my energy and productivity on many different levels. But this week uh, was my second week back to full-time work and, you know, I found myself feeling a little more tired than usual. The clogs are turning a little bit slower as I get back into a normal routine. And so Friday morning comes around and I decided not to set my alarm and have a little bit of a sleep in and roll into work straight from home and just bypass the gym. And my partner said to me, "Uh, didn't you do this last Friday? And I just thought to myself, it serves as a nice little reminder that sometimes you just need a break. You know when your body needs a break and I think often we just push past and we go, well, you know, I have to train today. It's Friday. It's leg day. I'm doing this program. But you know when your body needs a break. So listen to it. Honestly, I was 110% better for it. I had a proper sleep that morning. I was able to just start my day slowly, which often when you're running to the gym straight to work, you don't get to do. So moral of the day or the week, I should say, is if you need a rest and your body's telling you it just needs to chill out just for one day. You're not going to be worse off for it. I think you'll actually, if anything, gain. So just listen to yourself. But now on to the incredible guest I've got on today, the lovely Katie Williams. I've had her on my list for a while now. We're back and forth trying to tee up a time, but we finally made it. And I'm so, so excited to have had her on. So for those of you who haven't already heard about Katie, she is one of the country's most former leading beach sprinters, and she's the current host of the Better For It podcast. She's honestly such a gem and such a pleasure to chat to. Today, we really go deep into what mindset is required to become an athletic champion and with it, the powers of manifestation, taking inspired action, which is a little phrase she shared that I absolutely love and am probably going to steal and reuse. Sorry, Katie. And also goal setting. We also talk about the moment that changed everything for her, this event that led to a complete pivot in her career, and she really had to reconfigure what healthy meant to her. She also shares how a lot of the habits she had as a champion still are present with her to this day and really how it is the daily steps and all the little one percenters that add up to a whole. A lesson for us all, I think, when we're sitting down talking about our goals or setting ourselves targets for the year. We also wrap it up with a nice little chat about self-love and some challenges that she's explored on her own podcast. So for those of you who have not had the chance to check it out, it's called Better For It. So basically her podcast is trying out all these cool little challenges. And the one on meditation was the one that she said was a must try for all. So I've popped a link to that in the show notes below, as well as uh, her Instagram handle. So I hope you guys love this chat. I think it's probably up there as one of my favorites. Do share it with someone who would love it as much as you and sit back, enjoy as I pick Katie's brain and she shares all the ins and outs of her life to date. I've got the incredible Katie Williams on the balance series today. Welcome, Katie. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. We are, we finally got there. I know, I know. It took a couple of months and I know you've been a busy bee, which we can uh, get into and talk about, I guess, what you're doing now with your life. But um, for anyone listening who maybe follows you on socials, has maybe seen, you know, your, your athletic journey to date, can you tell me a little bit about your journey as a champion sprinter to Katie today? <laughs> it's a long journey. So <laughs> I started, um, it feels like a lifetime ago. So I retired about five years ago or four or five years ago, and I started surf life saving, which is my sport, or sprinting. I did track sprinting as well. I started when I was four. So the sport for me that, you know, took my career off was surf life saving, which is beach sprinting. So I did little athletics when I was younger, gymnastics, and a whole lot of sports. And then as I got older, I realized that my talent was my speed. So I started doing, um, yeah, little, little A's. And then I started doing surf life saving, which is beach sprinting, the 90 metres on the soft sand and then the 20 metres, which is the beach flag. So I trained, yeah, day in, day out for like 10 years. My um, goal was to make the Australian team, which I eventually did at age 19. Um, and then I was the world champion as well at age 19. So I had, you know, when I was sort of a teenager, I was undefeated for three years straight. And then um, when I hit the opens, I, I wasn't winning. I, I, was, I was coming like fourth, thirds. And, you know, I really, really, really had to put the work in because I was, um, you know, sort of coming in as what I thought was a pretty strong athlete. And then I was versing the big girls. Like, so when you hit opens um, from 20, I think it's from 21 and above, or even from 18, sorry, 19 and above, you were competing against girls who were like, 20, 28, 29, 30. So, um, yeah, I really, really, really had to put the work in as I got older because like the girls were bigger than me. They were stronger than me. I hit puberty pretty late. So, um, I was not as developed. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I retired at 22 or 23. Um, but yeah, it took up a huge chunk of my life and it definitely made me who I am today. It was, it was 10 years of sprinting like literally day in day out I trained full-time and I loved it you know my sport isn't in the Olympics um but we have world titles so every year we had nationals um and then we'd have world titles every second year so yeah I mean just yeah biggest thing was making the Australian team and then becoming world champ amazing and from the day you started like when you were really young was that always a goal you kind of had at the back of your mind like to to make it all the way or was it just more a passion that sort of developed into this massive goal that you kicked i mean when i was really young like age five or age six i wanted to be an olympian bless (laughs) and i still even as i was probably like 10 years old i still wanted to be an olympian um and but on the track my body type and my strength really was on the sand um and i think i was a, i was a lighter frame um and for track sprinting you really need to be strong and i probably wasn't strong enough well i definitely wasn't strong enough for the track and um so yeah i mean definitely my major sort of talent was was running on the beach which is so bizarre it's such a bizarre thing so yeah i mean yeah, like yeah. Like being bit not not having like the background knowledge of sprinting, like I didn't even realize that different body types would be better better suited for like sand or track. It's so interesting to hear that. Like yeah. you know, oh, you would assume that oh yeah, you could probably run on a track as well, like just as well. I mean, I was still a great track runner, but uh, definitely not Olympic level at all. So yeah. um, 
yeah, I was just, I was just better on the sand. Yeah. Um, and do you feel... Yeah, what was that? Sorry? After you, after you. If I had um, started on the track and stayed on the track, who knows? But to have made, uh, to make, yeah, I don't think I would have been good enough on the track. <laughs> beach, beach girl at heart. <laughs> do you still, um, do you still sprint like now? Like on the, on the odd occasion, will we see you down on the beach or? Uh, you won't see me beach sprinting, but you'll see me running. So I do a lot of running. I do a lot of stairs. I do hills. So I, running is a huge part of my life and running will always be a part of my life. Like I don't think I'll ever stop running. Yeah. But um, yeah, now I run to clear my head. And if I want to get like a really good sweat and I've got a short amount of time, I'll just go find um, some stairs wherever I am or some hills. Like I, yeah, I love intervals. But I don't go down to the track anymore, and I actually, since I retired, have never been back to the track. So, I think I, I think I need to uh, dust, dust the spikes off and get back out there. Well, why not? Why not? The track's probably missing you. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your mindset. So, as a high-performing athlete, no doubt, like especially you know when you were just telling me then about you entering opens and you went from coming first and being undefeated to then coming third and fourth, like. What kind of mindset did you have to adopt to then smash it and come first and really just push yourself? Because it sounds like you're already doing some grueling training as it was. Like what kind of helped you push past and get to that next level? So I think the thing is the, the biggest thing really is your mindset. And, and obviously you need fantastic coaching. I had two amazing coaches, the strength and conditioning coach, Luke Edgel, and um, the fastest man in the world, which is Peter Crombie. Obviously, it's not Usain Bolt, um, but for his age, it's Peter Crombie. So I obviously had two amazing coaches, um, which, and they, you know, they always like built me up and helped me with my confidence and pushed me really as hard as they could in a healthy level. But for me, mentally, you have to, you have to believe that you can, you have to believe that you're good enough. And I would constantly give myself affirmations like, I'm strong, I'm fast. I'm going to win. I will win. I have won. So I would picture myself already having won. And every single training session, I would picture myself, like I'm not joking, for about probably three or four years, every training session, every time I was in pain, I would close my eyes and picture myself wearing green and gold. And I could feel it. I could taste it. I could see it. And this like deep visualization and deep self-belief didn't come naturally to me. I, even though I was a great athlete, I started to doubt myself when I wasn't winning. So obviously I had gone from, you know, when I was young, I had, when I was really young, I wasn't an amazing athlete. And it took me until I was sort of hit puberty. Then I started to really see the results because I had trained and trained and trained and trained. Then I started to grow. Um, and I, that period where I was undefeated for like three, three years, I was undefeated. I didn't get cocky, but I, um, I, I didn't, I, yeah, I, I did really start to believe in myself because I was winning so much. Right. But then when I stopped winning, I thought, Oh my God, like I'm not a good athlete anymore. So it almost like took me back to when I was a kid again and I had to then, then realize, okay, I need to start celebrating like the small wins at training. Like if I would get a PB, I would celebrate it. If I had, um, you know, if I had gone like a month without missing a session, which to be honest, I would go like six months without missing a session, but I would sort of celebrate all the little daily wins. So I had to start looking at all the one percenters. Obviously I'd gone from being undefeated to now being like, oh my God, I'm getting thirds and fourths and this is not the result I want. I want to be at the top. Um, and I wanted to be open champion. 
um, Open Australian champion, which is, which is a, it's a big, it's a big thing to want. And in order to get there, you've got to look at all the one percenters. So then I started to celebrate all the little small things like how much water I was drinking per day. Um, you know, what was my recovery like? I was getting in ice baths. I was, um, getting massages. Um, I was visualizing, like I said, visualizing myself winning, visualizing myself making the Australian team. Um, and basically trying to fill my mind with as much like positive affirmations as I possibly could, as well as looking after my nutrition, um, recovery and my training sessions. So, you know, it comes, it really does come down to, you've got to be able to, you've got to put all the work in, all of the work in, but you also have to be confident that you can get there. And sometimes like the goal might be like two years away or three years away. And that is really confronting. Like for me, I wanted to win. Um, I wanted to go to Holland and I wanted to win. So I had, this is a two year goal and I broke that two year goal down into if, what, what can I do every single day for two years in order to get there? And so much of it is the tiny little habits that you need to tick off. Mm. Um, and that's what I do now. Like I look at a big goal and then I chunk it down into like, you know, monthly targets, weekly targets, and then daily habits because that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. So yeah, visualization, journaling, setting goals, um, setting a big goal and then working back working back to your habits and your routines. So I'm pretty similar mentally, I guess, to what I was like when I was younger. Um, I just think I'm probably a lot easier on myself because I was extremely strict and so disciplined and very, very, very critical. I think mm-hmm. you as an athlete, you, you look at so much, so many one percenters that you almost don't feel good enough because you're trying to critique every single thing about the race, about your training, and you're looking at every part of you that needs to improve. So it's yeah. pretty exhausting. Like it's epic, but it's, it's tough. Yeah, I can only imagine. And so much of what you said there can really be like unpackaged um, and I think relates not only to your experience as an athlete, but just people's, you know, experience of life in general, if they're setting any goal, whether it is like business, professional, personal, like the way you've unpackaged that, um, I 100% relate to as well, you know, like looking at a massive goal, especially like if it's a two-year goal, which I've never set like a two, three-year goal, mine max one year, but even it always seems so far away that if you don't actually look at the one percenters or what it looks like in a in a monthly basis or a weekly basis it's it's really hard to kind of see the big picture but what I like most about what you just said um, again something I strongly resonate with is it is the habits that you have every day that stack up to that end result Um, and and it's nice to hear that you're still kind of adopting that framework to your life today I do have a question though um, and this is something I've kind of personally struggled with I guess to some degree as well and that is like visualization like for some people right let's use the example um, someone who wants to be well off in terms of their finances right they want to have more money they want to be more financially stable and so they undergo a practice of visualization you know they, they picture what that looks like in their life what kind of house they're living what kind of car they'll be driving um, you know like for someone who doesn't feel like they're anywhere close to that um, that might just be like one random example, but just in, in any in any sense, like if you're trying to manifest or visualize something that you feel like is so far from where you are now, do you have any tips of like how people can effectively go about doing so? 
Yeah, definitely. So, well, I'm a big, I'm a big visualizer, visualizer. As you can see, that's my vision board behind you. Um, vision board, everyone who's not watching video. <laughs> that's my vision board right behind you. Um, yes. <laughs> um, you know, the word visualization anyway can be confronting or it, it sounds very spiritual, but yes, it's a, it's a I, hot, hot buzzword at the moment, I think. It's a full on buzzword. And for me, like I visualized it since I was a kid and now I sort of call it manifesting. This is why I have this tattoo in my mouth that says dream because I didn't know when I was a kid, I would, you know, you know, imagine myself finally getting my goal. Literally, and it took me five years to get there, but I would see it and I would attach the emotion to the goal. So in order to visualize, manifest or dream, which is why I got that to do it, I didn't know how to describe what manifestation was or visualization. I just thought I didn't know how to describe it. So I thought I'm going to get it tattooed on me when I was like 18. And that was when I made the Australian team and I had had this goal and I had seen it in my mind every single day. So what you need to do when you are manifesting or visualizing is you need to attach the associated emotion to the goal. So it's all well and good to just think about, you know, this is the, the uh, car I want, or this is the job I want, or this is the uh, race I want to win, whatever it is. You need to attach the associated positive emotion to that. So when you are sitting, maybe you're visualizing at the end of a meditation, maybe you're doing it when you wake up, maybe you're doing it like me. I would do it when I was running. So like, sometimes I would close my eyes, but like, yeah, during my training sessions, I would just take time, even like almost daydream, take, take me away from where I was to take me to that moment. I would attach the associated sense of pride, joy, accomplishment, mm-hmm. um, a sense of oh, peace or um, whatever, whatever that feeling is for you. So you need to attach the emotion to it. And yeah. that actually helps lock it in. The other thing as well, if it seems completely out of reach for you, it might be out of reach for you now, but you need to take action. So for me, I felt like the Australian team was so far away from me. I really didn't feel like a good, good enough athlete. It was going to take me five years to get there, you know, but if I had told myself, I'm never going to get there, I can't do this, um, it's too far away, five years is such a long time, whatever, all these negative, if I just kept reaffirming this negative, you know, belief cycle, yeah. then I would have never have gotten there. So you need to keep it's you need to keep positively reinforcing your goal, but you also need to take daily action. So fair enough. Like if you're going to sit back and go, this is my goal. It's you know four years away, two years away, one year away, and it seems that you'll never get there. One, you need to believe that you can. Two, you need to attach it to a positive emotion and feel it. You actually need to feel that you already have it. And the other one is you need to take daily action. So you may not feel that it's that far away. If after a few months, you actually are taking action. Mm. So you can't just sit back and visualize it and not take any action. So the, the, my actual best advice would be just to take baby steps whilst you are visualizing and manifesting because you actually will believe that you are deserving of it. But God, it took me years. Like for years, I thought, I, I don't know if I'm going to get there, but I just kept, you know, punching it, drilling it into me, training session after training session. And then I started to go, oh my God, like I'm getting quicker. I'm getting faster. Maybe I can. And, you know, it's kind of like, I can, I will, I must, you know, it's, you kind of just keep, 
keep saying it, keep feeling it, keep seeing it, write it down, put a photo up, like put it there as much as you can. Yeah. Bombard yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think, I think the, yeah, what, what's most important there is number three is the actual doing part. Cause I think alongside it being like a hot buzzword at the moment, the, I think commonly it's perceived as just manifest and dream, but then people forget about the doing part. <laughs> and really at the end yeah. of the day, like if you're doing something towards achieving it every single day, like that's small effort, 365 times over, like in one year's time, you're going to be slightly closer than what you are now. So yeah, I love that. That's a great tip for anyone listening who might be a bit confused or stuck on, you know, the whole manifesting visual visualization stuff. So that is Take inspired action is what I like to say. Take inspired action. Mm. Yeah. For sure. I think that could be your next hat. What do you reckon? <laughs> Taking inspired action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few tattoos coming actually. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. I want to chat a little bit about, um, so I know you had a little bit of a pivotal moment, um, in your career. I'm not too sure if it was at the end or just that was towards the end. Um, Mm. but I want to talk a little bit about how you had to reconfigure your approach to health and find a bit more of a balance as a result of your, uh, chest infection, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So basically the biggest moment, one of the biggest moments of my life was um, missing the biggest race of my life. So I had trained for two years straight to go to Holland. Um, I was junior world champion and I wanted to become open world champion. I'd reached my goal of being the Australian open champion. Um, And I thought, you know what? I want to be the best in the world um, in the open. So juniors is awesome, but I just didn't, you know, I was always trying to up level. So this was going to be the retiring race. I was coming in as for the flags, the favorite or one of the favorites. Um, I had beaten the world champion at nationals. So I felt confident coming in. I put so much pressure on myself knowing that this is my retiring race and that I was not going to retire until I won. And I didn't want to go another two years doing this because I was so burnt out. (laughs) Um, I put so much pressure on myself to get this result that I trained through sinus infections, chest infections. Uh, I didn't have any injuries that were too bad, but I trained through a few injuries and I basically trained myself into the ground. I overtrained and wasn't really looking after myself. And I was so, so fit, the fittest I've ever been, the fastest I've ever been, the strongest I've ever been, but was equally the most unhealthy. So I always say that I was my fittest, but my most unhealthy. And when I say my most unhealthy, physically, I looked so healthy, Um, but underlying, I had, um, you know, really bad reflux. Um, My period wasn't really there. It was kind of coming and going. Um, I had anxiety. I put so much stress on myself and I kind of wasn't enjoying the process. I just wanted to get there. So when I look at my health holistically, I, yeah, I was burnt out. I wasn't sleeping well. I was running off adrenaline and I was also drinking a lot as well. So what ended up happening for me was I had this really bad chest infection and I just kept training and training and training and training until I ended up with bronchiolitis and they thought I had pneumonia. So I went to hospital um, and I was on a nebulizer and they sent me home with a nebulizer and they said, you are in the hospital. Sorry. They said to me, you are unable to fly. You cannot go. You cannot get on an airplane. Like your lungs aren't good enough. Like you, you cannot fly. 
And I said, well, this is the biggest race of my life. Like I've been training two years for this. What do you mean I can't go? And um, I literally had to pack it up and watch like stream the biggest race of my life and the women who are amazing and my other athletes um, that I compete with, you know, win the race that, that I wanted to be mine. And um, I did that at home with a nebulizer, was in hospital and that was it. You know, I ended up retiring after that because, and I, and I didn't get the race that I wanted and, and um, yeah, I wanted to win and I, I think I would have won, you know? So I realized then that I was kind of doing everything, not wrong, but I was burning the candle at both ends. Um, I wasn't actually that healthy, even though I physically looked it and I was fit and fast and strong. But, you know, when I look at the relationship that I had with my body, the relationship I had with my self-worth, you know, my self-worth was so tied into external validation. Like I felt worthy when I was winning. I didn't feel worthy when I wasn't winning. Um, I didn't feel good enough if I wasn't winning or coming close to. Um, and so much of my identity was wrapped up in being an athlete. So when, you know, I ended up in hospital, I met, um, uh, well, I ran into a friend of mine, Sammy, and um, not long after we sort of, she was had an eating disorder in hospital and I was, um, yeah, had this shocking bronchiolitis and um, was sick as a sick as a dog. And we both said to each other, like, wow, we, we can't live like this anymore. Like we can't keep push, putting our bodies through this hell, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Um, it was no one else's fault, but my own, like literally like my parents and my coaches were amazing. Like I just was, yeah, I was obsessed. Like I was obsessed and I, and I, and I wanted this race so bad that I was willing to win at all costs and put my body in the line constantly, you know, like 10 years of it. So it was not long after that, that, um, I retired and then I realized that I'm going to start, you know, training for the love of it, training, training because I love my body training yeah. because I want to feel healthy and fit and vital. And yeah, it was a huge turning point for me. And, um, and my overtraining, like yeah. not really overtraining, just relationship to exercise and relationship to my own self. Yeah. That's, that's a really powerful moment. And I think, like more powerful for you for how you've kind of interacted with that event and, and allowed it to kind of turn you into a different direction. But I think what's really important um, off the back of that is a discussion of what is healthy, you know, like you in yeah. exactly what you said, you can look at someone, they can be shredded, have a six pack, you know, like look the fittest like person you've ever seen in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy. Right. And yeah. And what I personally think and, and kind of what I talk about as the balance theory is in anybody's life, like doesn't matter to which degree each of these categories form a part, but it is your health, which comprises both your physical and mental relationships, which involve your family, uh, you know, friendships and love life if you have one. And the third would be your area of fulfillment. So for some people that might be a career, might be being a mother, it might be study, whatever it is. And so when I look at someone who's healthy, to me, I would say it's someone who has each of those areas at least somewhat present in their life. Because I know that, you know, when you're a parent, obviously how you can, you know, involve yourself in those different aspects is going to change versus when you're, you know, an athlete running for the race of your life and, and whatnot. But I think if at any given point you're out of touch with any of those areas, I think that's when people can feel a little bit off. And by the sounds of it, you were putting perhaps all your eggs into the physical basket and, and not really paying much attention to the mental. Although it's interesting though, because you did focus quite a lot on your mental in terms of the visualization and the goal setting, which is like a really key part of, of staying focused. Um, but would you say like your mental health 
you know, wasn't, um, how can I say it? Like perhaps you didn't pay attention to it from a health point of view. Yeah, definitely. And that's such a good point because I mentally was a fantastic, fierce competitor. You know, I, I did um, push myself to the absolute limit. I had um, mental fortitude. I had mental resilience. I, you know, would get back up and just keep going. So mentally I was extremely tough and mentally I am tough. Um, but in there's, I think there's two ways to look at this. Now I'm kinder to myself. I'm more, um, I look at health as in a more holistic way in a more balanced way. Um, I'm still have that, you know, really strong athlete mind that is disciplined and focused and, you know, aware of what needs improving, you know, the, the very Virgo critical self is there. Um, but then I have this softer side to myself that I never had growing up. And I never had that when I was um, competing, which was to slow down, to meditate, to be aware of my thoughts, um, to be aware of, you know, when I am having sort of like uh, fearful negative thoughts. Whereas I was constantly fueled by fear when I was training full time because I wasn't really competing for the love of it. I was in a way, but I was more competing because I wanted to win. And, in, and by me winning, it validated me. Um, and it I made me why. feel worthy. It made me feel worthy. It made me feel, uh, it made me feel loved and accepted, which is ridiculous now that I look at it. So now I, you know, there's still, even though, yes, I was a very strong mental athlete, you couldn't throw me. Um, I wasn't very kind to myself. I didn't have the kindest thoughts about myself, um, but I was extremely uh, performance-based. Mm. So it, it's kind of like, you know, very critical, um, critical and disciplined and focused, yes, um, but now I am much more kinder to myself, uh, more understanding, coming from a place of love. And I'm trying to, I'm not there yet, um, but almost every athlete I speak to has to break out of what they have been conditioned to learn. Because yeah. when, you, when you grow up looking at all the one percenters, analysing your nutrition, your diet, your water, your stretching, your recovery routine, um, what your coach tells you, uh, what your, you sort of don't really look at your other competitors, but they are there. So you kind of have that in your subconscious as well. It can be really taxing to grow out of that. So for me, I had to unlearn so much. Like when I retired, I was like, oh my God, like almost everything I did, it was like, oh, I've got to be the best. It's got to be the best. It's got to be perfect. It's got like, if I'm going to do this, it has to take off. Like, and because my whole life was about being results driven and about performance. My whole life has been about performance and almost my whole life I've been a performer. Mm. I loved the crowds. I loved the adrenaline rush. The bigger the race, the better. And as I've gotten older, I still have that, but I try not let it dictate my life. And I'm more aware of when that sort of, um, those patterns come up where I can go, yeah. you know what, it's not about, it's not about winning. It's, it's not about being the best. It's about how much I can give. It's yeah. about actually taking a step back. It's about saying no to work and yeah. saying yes to downtime. So yeah. it's been a really long journey to love myself after uh, retirement, to be honest, because, you know, you, you're wrapped up in that world for so long. You, it's yeah, an identity. 
It's an identity death, you know, and it's life 2.0. You have your life back. You have time back again. Yeah, for sure. No, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, like, what a, what a journey. Like, honestly, you, you obviously were like immersed in that at such vulnerable years that it's, you know, of course it was going to have a massive imprint, but it's nice to hear that you've, you know, retained the good parts of it because it would have taught you yeah. so much mental toughness that to date and, and, you know, all that, that, you know, strengthening of like visualization and all that would still serve you today. But it's nice that you've come out of the extremity of it and found a, a kind of medium point that allows you to be more balanced and, and have that self-love. Um, but just before I move on to the next question on the topic of self-love, um, and I do think it's something that is an ongoing journey, right? You never get to a point where like, I love myself and like, I'm done, like I'm finished. It's always like, how can <laughs> I do it? You know, how can I do it more? How can I do it differently? How can I explore this further? Or how can I try out something that's a little bit different? So it's definitely an ongoing journey, but I think you can definitely be at a point where you're like, I am happy with myself. How did you even kickstart that process? Like, was there any, any like mentors, any activities or habits that kind of helped you on your journey of self-love? Oh my God. So many. All right. Top two. I really (laughs) to um yes working with mentors so i have um my original coach was blake royal thompson and i worked with him for about a year and now i have a she's hard to explain she's an energy worker she's like a light worker um healer kinesiologist reiki shaman she does everything and i work with her a lot (laughs) she's a jack of all trades and she is amazing yeah she's absolutely amazing but for me, I listen to podcasts, I listen to audio books, I journal. Um, the journey to self-love is, even the word self-love for me, I find a bit triggering. I don't understand, I don't know why. I just, I don't know, like, yeah, it's such a, getting to the point of truly loving yourself. And I, and I don't, obviously, don't not love myself, um, but there's still lots of aspects of my life I wish I could be fully proud of and, um yeah, I, I still struggle a bit with it, for yeah. sure. Look, I, I do think it is, it's an awkward kind of unspoken grey area with individuals, right? And like I have, I've had a, like a mindset coach on the podcast before and him and I were talking and he's like, can you look in the mirror and tell yourself like, I love you? And I just like instantly kind of cringed and I was like, oh, like, don't yeah. know about that. Like, not sure about that. He's like, you know, you should be able to do that every single day. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, it is. It's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And it's something I think we're not taught as we grow up. It's not something you learn at school. Um, you know, you're taught how to give love, but not to, you know, to everyone else, but not to yourself. So it is something that's ongoing, but yeah, it is, it is still an area that you're like cringe at a little bit, like, Oh, don't know about that. So I know what you mean. Like it's still. Yeah, it is. I think for me, like for me, self-love is, is actually like self-discipline. It's like, waking up at a decent time. It's giving myself enough sleep. It's eating foods that nourish me. It's eating soul foods, which is a bit of junk food. Self-love is, you know, saying no to the wrong opportunities, saying no to the wrong people, saying yes to alone time, saying yes to audio books over Instagram, saying yes to, you know, staying in a Sunday night versus going out. Like for me, self-love is constantly evolving. And for me, it's kind of like a combination of habits and routines mm. that make me feel good. That make me feel good physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I don't look in the mirror and say, I love you. Um, <laughs> but I do try and put, yeah, I do try and lift myself up before I lift others up. Like I do, you know, fill your cup up before you fill others. That's kind of, and meditation for me is the ultimate form of self-love. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's took me, taking me a long time to be able to get to meditate regularly for sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I think that's a nice way to describe it. It's kind of a combination of all the things you do that come together and just make you feel good, really, whatever that is. It could be hot yeah. chips one day and it could be a swim on the beach with an ice bath the next day. Like it really just changes, goes up and down. Self-love could be literally having a bottle of rosé with your girlfriends and dancing, you know. A bottle like, of beach. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love her. Yeah. What, love what it. about sharing? <laughs> All right, let's talk about life after being an athlete. So obviously in your formative years, like that was kind of everything you did. That was how you defined yourself. How did you go about redefining yourself post-retirement? I was lucky because whilst I was still competing, I got myself a job uh, with Fox Sport as an interviewer. So Summer of Surf was a television show that was filming our sport already and they got me in as a presenter. So the days that I wasn't competing over like a week, let's say we would have nationals, um, I would compete over a few days and then there'd be a few days where I wasn't competing. So I'd be on the microphone. So I realized very quickly that I loved the camera. um, I loved presenting. And I also, the sponsors I was working with at the time were using me for photo shoots and for television ads. And I also had an agent when I was younger. So I sort of realized, yeah, very quickly that um, this sort of being in the media, television, cam- cameras, all that kind of stuff, um, I was good at it and I really liked it. So I sort of slipped into it in a really effortless way. And then as I sort of was starting to think about retirement, I had already had all these really good, um, and also I worked for free a lot when I was younger. Like I did jobs super, like either super cheap or totally for free and would bend over backwards for these brands and companies that I wanted to stay with and work with. So that as, you know, I, I got older, they eventually started to pay me more and then they referred me. And then um, I sort of started to, yeah, work my way up in that sort of scene. Um, and then when I retired, I uh, did, uh, I signed with Chic, Chic Talent, which is who I'm with now. So I've been with them for a very long time. And yeah, they, they saw um, some talent in me and I ended up, a little bit. <laughs> they saw some talent and uh, some imposter syndrome coming out there. Um, and I ended up doing Ninja Warrior. Um, and then I, yeah, I kind of just really enjoyed this space and, you know, was good at reading scripts, was good at presenting. And then I, like I said, I met Sammy in hospital. We met, met uh, at our lowest points and we decided that we wanted to work and do workshops together. So we started workshops called Real Talk. And we started working with young women, um, doing like nutrition podcast, I mean, uh, nutrition workshops, um, sort of like mindset workshops, and it was working really well. Like we were selling out, and we enjoyed it. Um, and then we ended up wrapping that up. Then I started to go into the corporate space and started doing corporate workshops. And she still works with young girls. So we sort of sort of parted ways and did our own things. And then I decided I wanted to do a podcast and um, I said, yeah, I want to do that with Nova. And so basically I did chase the things like things didn't, you know, land in my lap. Like I did chase the opportunities. I did, you know, put myself out there, 
I, I, you know, I worked hard. I made, you know, great connections and networks and helped people and they helped me. And, um, yeah, I mean, then I went to university. Um, I did my degree. Um, I also did TAFE as well. So, and then sort of, and I'm still going to keep studying. So I kind of consider myself like a lifelong learner. Like I'm going to do NLP this year. Um, and I think like I haven't really even used my degree, but I like the idea of just constantly learning and evolving. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of, for me, I got out of, re- I got out of retirement and followed the things that I was passionate about, things that made, gave me joy and the things that I was good at. Yeah. Um, and I suppose people started following me for my fitness um, and then, yeah, I was posting heaps of workouts and then people started to know me as a trainer. People started to know me as a, you know, fitness expert. And then I started to write for magazines and was a guest on podcasts. And then, yeah. So by the time I launched, launched my own podcast, people kind of knew me in that space. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of evolved from there. I've kind of never really made any really strong plans. Like I've always just kind of gone with the flow and, and enjoyed where I'm at. And kind of now over the last sort of few years, I've, you know, made like financial goals and, and, you know, brands that I want to work with and same thing, you know, you start manifesting, you start believing, you start dreaming and you start thinking about what you want, believing that you can do it and um, yeah, taking inspired action. Yeah. Love it. And um, there's definitely like similarities between your athletic career and the things you're doing now, not just in terms of like the subject matter, but you know, kind of you presenting, uh, to an audience, like there's definitely similarities there. So it's kind of nice that those skills have crossed over and served you. And I think just being open to opportunities, like you've got a very open personality to you, very welcoming. And so I think that's definitely served you as well as you chasing and putting in the work too. So I can't wait to see what this year brings for you. I know you've got a couple of things in the woodworks um, under yes. wraps. So looking forward to all of that. Um, but speaking of your um, podcast, which everyone should check out, it's called better for it. Um, so you do all these cool challenges and I've seen the one you've recently done, the social media one, which actually inspired me to limit my own time because with running the, the two pages, the ES fit one, and then the podcast one, I was just like always on, I was always just like, you know, I have to reply to DMs. I have to see what other people's doing, what's trending. I have got to be on all the time. And then I watched your um, video that you posted the other week. And I was like, I actually don't need, like, I'm not missing out. I actually, I have FOMO for no reason. Like I'm actually not missing out on anything here and I can just give back to myself and the technology is always there when you want to go for it. Um, But if anyone kind of wants to watch that, it's, it's on Katie's Instagram, which I'll link below. But this long-winded explanation on my end is to ask you one thing. What's been your favourite challenge that you've done on the pod? I want to say going vegan. And was Um, that just temporary or have you maintained that? I have maintained to a certain degree. I'm I'm not fully vegan. Um, I, at the moment, am pescatarian. But I haven't eaten red meat in 11 years. So when the vegan challenge came along, I, my diet wasn't, I was sort of plant-based anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just felt amazing. I did feel amazing. And the reason why now I incorporate eggs and fish, um, and I'll have like a little bit of dairy here and there, um, was because I did this project and I, and I thought, you know, like I can't really be in control of my diet. So 
I, I, I just sort of ended up changing it completely. And I also don't want to be like, I'm trying to black, I'm trying to back away from being such an extremist and being so black and white because I am so black and white and such an extremist. So if I do something and I enjoy it, I sort of stick to it. Whereas now I'm trying to not do that, which is why whenever I get asked about my diet at which it's a constant question and I never address it. Like I never address it because I never want to say, this is what I do constantly because I do believe everyone's diet is different mm. and everyone should eat based on, you know, their age, their height, their activity, their intolerances, everything. So I'm rambling, but the, the vegan challenge was amazing. Um, yep. The getting off social media challenge was actually fantastic because I really didn't want to do it. And it's the challenges that I didn't want to do that, I think, you know, I get the biggest rewards out of. And then the hardest challenge I've ever done was the zoo challenge, which is the body weight primal movement. Like nothing has ever screwed me more, like in terms of like how hard I was pushed physically than zoo. Like that was by far the hardest. Um, yeah. So yeah, favorite was vegan, second favorite, quitting social media. And then the hardest was zoo and then quitting coffee also sucked. Yeah, that would suck. Well, I was going to ask, other than like part vegan stuff, have you maintained any of the, I guess, like good parts or results from any of the challenges like to date? Yes. So bar two challenges, um, I think I've done now because I'm ahead of, I'm ahead now. I think I'm up to challenge 21. So I'm ahead of, I'm a few ahead. Um, Out of all of them, I only wasn't better for two of them. So the whole point of the podcast is to you know, criti- critically analyze these health, wellness, and um, lifestyle trends. And I'm in critical analysis them, like, you know, fats. And I'm looking at, um, you know, my physical health, mental health, social health, you know, you know, how am I sleeping? How am I showing up? You know, how's my energy? Um, you know, is it affecting my training? Is it affecting my workload? Everything. So I only wasn't better for two of them. Um, which was quitting alcohol, which I don't think, I don't, I don't think having a glass of wine on the weekend is a big deal. So if you quit alcohol for a whole year, yeah, you feel amazing. But like I only quit it for two weeks, which is not that hard. Mm. Um, and if you're not drinking so yeah, every day, do, then. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I keep, I keep a little bit of all the challenges. So with the nice. fully vegan now, but like majority plant-based with the meditation challenge, I was doing 40 minutes meditation day i do 20 a day um with intuitive eating i try and intuitively try and intuitively eat in general Mm -hmm. um with the high protein challenge that protein like was a little bit hard for me to maintain so i kind of just take a little bit out of every single challenge Mm -hmm. and learn along the way which is exactly what i want my audience to do like do i expect them to quit sugar no, but give it a go, see how you feel, and then see if you can reduce your sugar intake or your alcohol intake or your coffee intake. Or if you've never meditated, listen to the podcast and give it a go. So it's finding like you start off with a challenge that challenges you and then you figure out how it can fit into your life, which is exactly what I do. Yeah. And um, it's funny, I've actually got a podcast coming out next week um, and it talks all about like your perfect morning routine. And the point of it is like, you can't copy and paste what someone else has done. You have to trial and error different things. So I think actually your podcast would give people a lot of good ideas that they can just, you know, experiment with and then kind of formulate your own. So exactly what you've done, you try it and then you, you know, find out, okay, I really like this. How can I make it fit to my lifestyle? You know, it's, it's never about uh, making your lifestyle fit the diet. It's the diet fits your lifestyle kind yes. of approach. Um, That's exactly right. 
Yeah. But if anyone listening should try at least one of the challenges you've done, which one would you recommend? Uh, the meditation one by far. Um, I preach meditation. It's something that anyone can do. It's free. Um, I do Vedic. So you, I have learned how to, how to um, do TM meditation. So that's like a three day course. And then you, then you know how to do it. And you keep resetting it. Um, but guided meditation is free. You can do your own forms of meditation. Um, just being still, you know, like we never give our minds a break ever. And meditation has been the one true thing that's probably changed my life. Um, obviously exercise is my number one, but my number two would be meditation for sure. Uh, and it's a really good, it's a really good podcast. I interview um, Noah, who's a good friend of mine and my meditation teacher. And it's just so insightful. It's awesome. Awesome. I'll actually put a link to that episode in the show notes so oh, everyone can you. jump over you to it easily. Um, before I let you go, I do want to ask you about something I, um, in my researching of your articles gone by, <laughs> you, did, um, you did mention something that resonated with me personally. And that was, if you can't measure it, you can't control it. And I think coming yeah. out of the back of 2020, I think this is like more powerful now than ever. Um, and I think as well, it, it's quite an important thing to think about when we're talking about our own balance. Cause I think we're always so quick to beat ourselves up and, and make ourselves feel like we're not doing enough or we just don't have it right. But often it's things outside of our control that, you know, you can't actually measure. So can you just maybe explain to me, I guess, what that quote means to you? I mean, for me, I think it's really important to look at how far along you've come. So I like to, I know it's really lame, but I've got like a little timetable and I tick off all my daily habits and I feel like, although I'm not measuring anything crazy, I do, when I'm training, I measure my calories, I measure my heart rate, I'm looking at the data to see if I'm improving, um, you know, to see how hard I'm pushing or if I'm pushing myself too hard, do I need extra recovery? So that's obviously like a very athletic approach to, um, you know, measuring my fitness and, and measuring also my recovery. But then I also like to look at little things like habits. So I'll have my like, timetable and I have my um, daily meditation, daily journaling, daily gratitude, which I kind of do in meditation. Um, I sort of couple that with a little bit of visualizing or manifestation that I add into um, at the end of my meditation um, that I do like healthy brekkie or if I'm fasting, skip that. Um, and I sort of, so I have these like daily habits that I have per day, make my bed, plan my day, exercise, walk. Sometimes I get in the sauna. These are all like, you know, I don't do it all in one day, but I try and get the basics, right? Yeah. And I tick them all off and I look at the end of the week to see how far, like to see how I've gone. Sometimes I've got heaps of ticks and I've done really well. Sometimes, oh my God, I haven't slept well. I didn't really eat that well. And I sort of keep a check on, you know, how I'm going. That gives me an indication or a measurement of um, my vitality, so for me, energy and vitality is one of my number one values. Um, number one would be abundance and number two would be energy and vitality. So in order to, to you know, live in alignment and to feel my best, um, I need to measure and keep, an, keep track on, you know, all the things that make me feel good. And all those things that make me feel good actually make me better at work. They make me a better person um, because I'm actually looking after myself first. So if I sort of have a week where I haven't done all the things that make me feel grounded and calm and productive and focused, then I'm not showing up well on my podcast. I'm scatterbrained or maybe I drank the night before. I didn't sleep very well. And for me, I can't show up as my, my you know, I don't like to say best self, but, you know, as the awesome. better version. 
myself. Yeah, exactly. Full of self. So in order for me to show up with energy and vitality, which is how I love to show up as much as I possibly can, I like to, you know, to keep it check on these daily habits. So um, it obviously is a pretty performance-based uh, way to live life. You don't, you don't have to live your life that way. You don't need to check it off. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm very visual and I like to see, you know what, like I am, I am sort of keeping track. And also you feel kind of good that you've been able to tick these things off. Yeah. Um, yeah same, thing, same thing with training. Like some of my training sessions, I don't even wear my Apple Watch. Like I'll just run. Some of my training sessions, I don't care about how many calories I burn, anything like that. Um, but it's just good to see how you're tracking. Check your bank account as well. Like how are you tracking financially? Are you overspending? Are you underspending? Yeah. Like same thing if you're looking at like calories or macros. I, I don't personally track all, all my macros or calories, but um, I have sort of in the past. And if I needed to change my body or look after my nutrition better or improve in the gym, I would, I would directly look at the food I'm eating and start making changes. So yeah. do you, have to, you have to analyze what you're doing if you want to see results. Yeah, well, I was just going to say for anyone listening who may have set themselves goals and um, feel like maybe they're not on the right track or, you know, just, just in general thinking things are beyond their control, have just they could reframe and just have a think like, can I measure it? Or is there a way I can measure it? Whether it be like numerical by the kilos, by the grams, whatever it is, or like through your vitality, through your body signs, like your energy, your, yeah. your, your mental health, all these things that you yourself can feel if you just take the time to listen. So I think that's, um, it's a good, it's a good thing to talk about now being at the start of the year when, when everyone's sort of setting themselves up, you know, for the year to come. Well, you can't control anything that's going on right now. Sometimes like even in my area, gyms have been closed because of the COVID outbreak. So yeah. I can't control really anything. We, we really can't control anything anyway, right? Particularly not right now during these times. But what you yes. can control is your daily habits that actually make you feel good. That's right. Um, and yeah, for me, I just try and do not as many as I can, but the ones that I can fit in per day um, that make me feel good on a daily basis. It's kind of as simple as that. Yeah, that's right. And just like off the back of that gym example, like, yes, you can't control the fact that the gyms are closed, but you could still like measure your exercise, I guess, through an alternate avenue. You can exercise outside, do something body weight, you know, there's, there's uh, ways around it. But um, I am going to let you go and I really, really appreciate your time and cannot wait to see what is in store for you in 2021. Um, uh-huh. If people want to connect really with you, where is the best place they can reach out? Uh, on Instagram. So my name on Instagram is my name, just Katie Williams. And send me a DM. I'm always happy to chat. Um, check out my podcast, Better For It. And yeah, I'm online all the time, even though I've just done my social media detox, I'm online all the time. And I'm always open for podcast um, guests and challenges. So if anyone wants to see me do any crazy challenges, like send them through. Or if anyone has any questions about health, fitness, lifestyle, you know, any, if I can help them, just, yeah, flick me a DM. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to think about some crazy challenges I can throw your way too. Things are maybe, <laughs> things maybe I want bust, myth busted. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm pretty savage on there. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, no, good. Like I'm, I'm thinking it'll be a good way. You, you test it down and then let me know if it's worth <laughs> me giving yeah, it. Down. That's what a lot of people do. They're like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. Can you do it first then tell me? I'm like, all right. <laughs> Why not? Well, thank you again. And yeah, can't wait to see what the year holds. Thank you, Eric. I loved it. Such a good chat. Always. See ya. Bye, lovely. 
And that's a wrap for this week, Balancers. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found this episode useful to some degree in either steering or determining your definition of balance today. As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it. Or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. If you have any suggestions for up and coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the balance theory and our email is the balance theory podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop so you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam, we promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced. Stop, stop, stop.